You're listening to the Oil & Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil & Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 159. I'm here with the man, the myth, the legend, Mark LaCour. Yeah, quit saying that because then people start expecting me to like have superpowers or something. But you know what, Jake? I want to wish our entire audience, our new listeners, our existing listeners, our listeners from day one, our listeners from this show, happy Thanksgiving. It's uh, time to be thankful. Everybody stay safe out there, but enjoy your time with your family. Everybody works so hard. It's, t- it's time for you to take a couple days off, eat more than you should, <laughs> and watch some football. Exactly. So do we have any good reviews to read this week? We always have good reviews and so we're thankful for our reviews, right? <laughs> Very thankful. So first one by Jerome TX from US. Great show, gentlemen. I'm a railroad transportation sales professional looking to break into the oil industry and the show is really helping me understand the industry. And I have been looking for jobs in midstream section of the industry due to the show's insight. Jerome, thank you for the uh, for the great review. We need to throw some punctuations in your next review, but thanks, dude. And then uh, Jake1849 from the U.S. Been listening to this podcast since before I graduate college in May of 2017. Great info and podcasts I use to stay up to date with what's going on in the oil and gas world. So big shout out there, Jake1849. If you want to get a shout out like uh, Jake and Jerome did, leave us a review. It takes a couple of minutes. It's the number one way to support the show. All right, let's get into the story. So we want to start off this week's episode kind of diving a little bit into kind of what's top of mind for a lot of people. I know me in particular, Mark, as you know, like, you know, we, we, we've got a, since we bought our assets earlier, we've had a whole bunch of hiccups and stuff. If you've never been an operator before, it's a pain in the ass. We have, you know, 200 barrels of oil that we're looking to sell. And so we've kind of run into some snags before we can legally sell that. And oil prices have dropped about $10 per barrel since, since we filled up the tank to now. And so obviously this is top of mind for me, top of mind for everybody else. You know, we've seen the biggest daily loss in three years in, for oil prices. We've seen a little bit of a, a rebound. As of right now, I think we're sitting at about $56 per barrel for the WTI and a 66 on uh, Brent. So let's dive a little bit into that. Let's also kind of talk a little bit about there's a lot of turmoil between uh, the Saudis and our current administration, uh, two completely different agendas. You know, the Saudis are wanting to, to boost production and Trump is wanting to keep oil prices as low as possible. And then there's been some things happening in Saudi Arabia, right? Let's kind of figure out how that kind of ties into uh, those relations, where we're at now, how that kind of looks projecting forward, and then overall, how is this going to affect us uh, oil prices-wise and as an industry? Yeah. So first thing before we go further, congratulations, Jake. You're the only professional podcaster that is an operator. You now have <laughs> oil to sell, 200 barrel. <laughs> I, I know you're going through the, the jumping through hoops so you can actually put it on the market, but congratulations to you and Colin. Y'all actually did it. Thank you. It's it's uh, it was really exciting. We actually put a video. Colin put a video up that I took whenever I was at the wells two weeks ago. I know a lot of people saw it. it kind of went like semi viral for some reason. It was just literally like five seconds of just showing the wells, showing the the lease, and then you know kind of showing a tank. And we got so much positive feedback. And you know it was it, it's while it's to some people it doesn't seem like much for us. It was kind of like a dream come true, even though like all the headaches that we've had to endure and continue to endure. But we also received some hate. It was we also got some really rude comments for I guess for you know somebody who's never seen like a you know a low budget operation but we're excited regardless yeah so let's uh, I, I know y'all's future plan with your y'all y'all plan is to keep growing as an operator so let's see if somewhere down the road we have this conversation where now jake and colin are competing with saudi arabia for prices <laughs> <laughs> let's make sure y'all boost production right every year <laughs> yes yeah, so there's a bunch going on here so one thing is 
when I, when we say OPEC, you might as well say Saudi Arabia, right? They're the largest controller. They, they control most of the geopolitics. They're the ones that understand the longer term global strategy. And so what they're doing is they're reducing shipments of crude to the U.S., right? And what they're trying to do is drive prices up. If there's less supply on the market, prices go up. That benefits the countries where the government owns the oil. So that benefits OPEC specifically and also in, in a great amount to Saudi Arabia and Saudi Aramco. It also benefits Russia. Unlike the whole rest of the world, the U.S. is different. The U.S. individuals like Jake and Colin can own mineral rights and can go into production if they want to. And so what y'all want, y'all want prices to be high, right? But at the same time, you want to be able to produce as much as you want. And if prices aren't where you need it to be, you can increase production and produce more oil to make the money you need. The rest of the world doesn't do that. And then we have our current political administration who wants basically pump prices to be low. In order for pump prices for fuel to be low, you need to have crude prices to be low. In order for crude prices to be low, we need to have more oil on the market. So this is this is something that that is was easy to predict that would happen that the difference in philosophies between say Russia and in the U.S. are going to drive different trends. Now, what gets really kind of squirrely in all this is just recently, like Jake has said, and and you know Jake kind of tiptoed around it, but you know you had the the Crown Prince. Our CIA has now said the Crown Prince was involved with the assassination of the journalist. And when all that stuff broke just a couple of weeks ago, one of the things that struck me immediately, because uh, Saudi Arabia initially said they don't know what happened, and then later, after some real evidence coming out, they said, well, it was an accident. The two people that were in that group that accidentally, and I'm doing air quotes, killed the journalist had bone saws with them, Jake. You don't bring a bone saw to a business meeting, you know? And so so there's a lot of treachery going on here. And the U.S. really needs to have normalized relations with Saudi Arabia. It's, it's one of the few countries that's pro-U.S. But when you get to the point where you're killing people in other parts of the world, and, and yeah, don't send me any hate mail. I know the U.S. has done the same thing before, maybe in the future. But this was just blazing taking a journalist out because he was anti-government. You know, we can't support that type of behavior. So it's going to be really interesting to see where this goes. The biggest thing is who has the biggest stick to swing in all this. And the the country with the biggest stick is the U.S. If if we need it to and if we want it to, and it would put a lot of our operators out of business, we could flood the market right now. And we could take back control from both Russia and OPEC. I don't think that's going to happen. I think you can see the production I say production cuts because that's a myth as well. So what happens, both OPEC and Russia, when they start talking about doing production cuts, what they both did is ramped up production. And then they said, oh, we're going to reduce our production by 10%. And they did. And it brought it back down to what it was before. So they kind of fooled everybody. But still, that the constraint on on, on production is going to stay because uh, it benefits Russia and OPEC to have prices creep up. The U.S. wants prices to stay down low. In order to do that, we got to keep producing crude, which is what we're doing. So that's that's the dichotomy we are here, overlaid against this really kind of, you know, evil is the only word I can think of geopolitics with the killing of the journalists. Yeah, and it's it is it's not surprising that Saudi Arabia. I mean, they they have a long history of this. I guess moving on to something a little bit lighter. Speaking of oil prices, rig count is still inching higher despite the oil price side here, you know, in the U.S. So that is still good. Obviously, we'll we'll kind of dive into what the actual rig count is. But how do you think things are looking? I mean, you you took a trip out to Midland what like a week or two ago. I took a couple of trips to Midland the last couple of months, Man. and we're taking another trip out there. We're um, you know it's going to be the home of one of our new happy hours. It's going to be home of the Permian Perspective podcast sponsored by Baker Hughes GE. So it's a it's a booming place. If if you're in the oil and gas industry in any shape or fashion, if you're an accountant, if you're an attorney, you know, if you're the guy out there writing JavaScript, 
somehow figure out a way to get to Midland, Texas, get to the Permian in the next year. It is such a micro economy of prosperity caused by the oil and gas industry. It is so cool. Now it's expensive. You're going to pay $500 a night for a hotel room that normally should have been 75 bucks. Traffic is horrendous, but the economy is booming so much. You just have to see it to believe it. Now the whole rig count thing, as we go through time, the correlation between future production and rig counts is going to continue to degrade. The way we produce now, or the way we drill now is different than we used to. You used to have one rig on a job site. Now you may have multiple rigs depending on who's doing horizontal, who's doing a vertical, you know, who's going into completions. And it's a more efficient way of working. But the rig count will continue to, to inch up regardless of what crude prices are doing because Everybody knows that we're in this long-term ramp of stable crew prices. And the only thing that could unstabilize that is if some war breaks out, especially in the Middle East. And all that would do is drive prices up. So the, the flip side of this, though, is you're seeing these rig accounts inch up on land. You're not having the same thing happen offshore. You're seeing projects that should be drilling now get delayed. And the reason that's happening is because those projects that are offshore are longer term and they have to figure out where the prices could be break even in the future and try to time the offshore fields going to production where the price makes sense, right? So that's a that's a longer term strategy. But on land, it's all about punching holes in the ground. So it's nice to see where they are right now. It's nice to see that finally Canada's recounts starting to go up because they've been hurting up there for a long time. So, you know, and speaking of Baker Hughes, I think it's actually where you got this data from for the recount was Baker Hughes. Another shout out for them for providing the data. So speaking of Baker Hughes, in an effort to reduce its debt levels and simplify its portfolio, we've, we've talked about this multiple times. We're kind of waiting to see what would happen. GE has announced that it's accelerating its proposed plans to reduce its stake. Uh, it has a large majority stake in Baker Hughes. So they're selling as much as 20% of its majority share through a secondary offering, a repurchase of shares by the oil services firm, which could raise nearly $4 billion in cash for GE. But they still were... Re- maintain a stake of greater than 50% after this transaction. Yeah. So let me tell you what's really going on here. I love Baker Hughes GE. I, before they even decided to partner with us, I've always been a big fan. I've known them forever. I've known all their their different acquisitions. It's really hard for me to remember to call them Baker Hughes GE because in my mind, it's just Baker Hughes. But what happened is basically GE, the mothership, hasn't really ran their business well in the last couple of years. They moved too slow. They didn't notice current trends. They got caught with their pants down. And so they got really hit hard and their stock price is tanked. It's in a really bad place right now. They're Cash reserves are at a 10-year low, I think. They're just in a bad place. So they need some money to boast their business. So they're going to sell off something, part of the business they know they can get get top dollar for. Now, short-term wise, this will give a big bump in GE share price, which is when you're a public company, is something that you're measuring on as a CEO, which by the way, their new CEO has only been there for a month or two. The old one was only there for a year. That tells you a story right there. Longer term wise, I think this is a huge mistake for GE to do this. Yes, you'll get some cash. Yes, you'll get a bump in in stock. But the Baker Hughes part of GE is making money left and right. They're doing really well. They're exceeding their, their, their targets, their KPIs. And I think, and everybody says I'm crazy about this. I think a large tech company is a possible buyer. For, for Baker Hughes, not because somebody like IBM or SAP or Oracle or Microsoft wants to get into the wireline business. They all want the data that that wireline business creates. A lot of people don't know this, Jake. Do you know who owns the Weather Channel? Mm, I want to say it's like, uh, is it like Amazon? It's IBM. Mm. 
Now, why would I buy the weather channel? Do you think they care about the weather? No, no the data, right? So, so I think that's what's happening here. And how cool to be Jake, if I'm right, that a tech company buys Baker Hughes GE and all of a sudden somebody like IBM is an oil service company because they would be overnight. Stay tuned because we have more to talk about that later. We can't talk about it now, but that's what's going on with, with, with Baker Hughes GE. And that what's interesting, Jake, is in all my years of being in this industry, Anytime it's known that a company or a division of a company is being sold, it really hurts morale. And, and literally, the employees are scared to do anything because they're worried about their jobs. I'm not seeing that right now, Baker. Usually, they're like, oh, well, we're being sold again. Oh, well, let's keep doing work. Right. So, you know, hats off to all the people working over there to keep their heads up uh, when this is being announced publicly. So we've got something to celebrate. We've talked about the Proposition 112 in Colorado that would have restricted the vast majority of new development in Colorado's uh, across Colorado. So it was defeated. It you know this is a victory. I guess the I guess kind of like the silver lining is that it was very narrowly defeated. So with ninety percent of the precincts reporting and fifty percent of the electric voted against the measure. So you know it is a, a short term victory, but we might have to worry about this again in twenty twenty. Yeah, it, we're going to continue to have to worry about this forever. This is the point I keep making. If we as an industry don't stand up and start going out with a grassroots feet on the street movement, just like the anti-oil and gas groups have done for, for a decade now, and start educating people on the benefits of oil and gas, we're going to face this forever. This is, this is the anti-oil and gas movement almost putting us out of business in an entire state, right? You're seeing the same type of strategy happen with them going after pipelines. They figured out that they can't stop drilling, right? Because somebody's making money because there's a well on their property and it's hard to fight, you know, change somebody's mind when they're getting a little royalty check every month. But if you can kill a pipeline, nobody cares about that. Now that that operator, that landowner can't get his hydrocarbons to market. So he makes no money. So the anti-oil and gas people are very entrenched and we need to not lie and not talk politics and not use marketing types. If we used to go out there and tell the truth, I mean, I don't know how many jobs this saved for the state of Colorado and how much tax money, how many roads and schools to save, but that's what we need to be talking about. The thing is that this will come up again in Colorado. It's It will come up again in New Mexico. It will come up again in, unfortunately, Texas and Louisiana, every place there's production. And as an industry, we need to get out there and start talking about the benefits, the prosperity that we bring to this planet, the fact that we care about the environment more than anybody else, the fact that we have reduced pollution more than anybody else, the fact that we spend more money educating other parts of the world than anybody else so that this stuff can go away for good. And if we don't, if we don't as an industry start addressing this, at one point, Jake and I are going to be on the microphone and if Jake, instead of Jake saying that we've won, Jake's going to say we've lost. Yeah. And, and that was a huge, a huge talking point whenever we talked at Noble. You know, it was we, we kind of did a little a survey of the crowd there of the two, three hundred kind of young professionals that are there within Noble's organization. And, you know, only some of them had actually had training, having worked in some of the Colorado offices on, you know, how to kind of debate somebody who was to, you know, kind of come against, uh, you know, what you do for a living. Yeah. You know, what's interesting about that is I asked for a show of hands, and this is all the young professionals at Noble, asked for a show of hands of people that thought our industry, the oil and gas industry was bad for the planet. And they had about five or six people that raised their hands, which is telling, right? These are Noble employees. Then I asked the hard question. I said, how many people think your company, Noble, is hurting the planet? And had one brave young woman raised her hand and I thanked her for it. But come on, people, if you work for an oil and gas company, at least educate your own people. You know, part of your new hire package should be talking about the good things, oil and gas industry, talking about the truth. We, we got to get our hands around this. And, you know, Oil and Gas Global Network is working on a piece of the solution. Uh, we hope to have a pro oil and gas podcast coming out soon. We're talking to a really cool 
producer, I can't tell you who they are, but they love CO2 about actually sponsoring an oil and gas corporate social responsibility podcast. So we can, we as a group can start telling the good stories about our industry, but I need every single person that works in our industry or that, or that parents works in our industry or husband or wife or whatever, just learn about our industry learn the facts and don't go out and try to change people's minds. Just speak the truth and we will eventually change this, this negative public perception. So on to the next article. Could we see a potential shale boom in the UK? Quadrilla. I don't know if it's Quadrilla, Quadria. I don't know. It seems like it's like a Spanish name. Sounds like a Godzilla fan. Quadrilla. And they've drilled two horizontal wells in the Bolin Shale at the site of the UK's first two horizontal shell wells, and both have produced natural gas. That's exciting. It's very exciting. That shale geology is not unique to the US or North America. It's all over the world. It's in the UK. It's in South America. It's in China. It's in Russia. And we all know the problem here from this story. The problem isn't whether they can get natural gas out of the ground using fracking and make money. At the, the problem is, will the people there let them do it? And that's going to be a big challenge right there. And one of the reasons is what I talked about earlier. Just imagine if you were the owner of that land in the UK and somebody could come uh, drill a well and all of a sudden you start getting you know $10,000 US a month royalty checks. Well, I think all of a sudden you would probably be pro oil and gas and then your neighbors would also want $10,000 royalty checks. So they would be pro oil and gas. And so the economics would help people be open-minded. Unfortunately, in the UK, that's not how it is. The government owns that. So even though you're the landowner, you will never get a penny. You won't get any checks each month. And so why Go would straight you- Straight to the crown. Yeah. So why would you support something that doesn't make you, that doesn't benefit you? Our, our, our basic business model here in the U.S. actually does a lot to help us as an industry. And this is interesting because I can't believe they actually let them go and do a test well. It won't be till 2019, which is only a month or so away, before they find out what the production numbers look, what the flow rates are. So we don't know f- for sure yet if this is a profitable, but they hit gas and it is flowing. We just don't know how much. You know, the United Kingdom and and all of Europe could really use their own gas supply. Russia has a chokehold on them. We can't get LNG ramped up quick enough to take that chokehold away, or darn it, we're trying, though. It's, it, we, we've done a couple of shipments of LNG to the UK already. But, you know, this is almost this is almost worse than Mexico. In Mexico, they need gas that they have under the ground of their feet. They just can't get it out. But they can't get it out from a technology point of view. They, they need help. In the UK, they could get it out, and they have it. They just politically don't want to do it. And they'd rather keep giving money to Russia, which is politically, I think, just crazy way to think, but it's how they do it. So let's keep an eye on this story. This has a lot more ramifications than them just fracking a well in the UK. Yep. So Pioneer Natural Resources, uh, in an effort to continue trimming its portfolio as it transitions into a low-cost Permian Basin pure play operator, is selling off its pressure pumping assets for $400 million in cash and stock to ProPetro Holding. Yeah, this is this is really interesting. So for the last five years, I've seen operators and, and, and smaller operators, not the majors and super majors, but the smaller operators approach this business from two separate ways. You have this way, which is the pioneer way, which is you get rid of everything that is not crucial to your Permian business and you become the best Permian operator on the planet, right? And then you have the other way where you have other operators buying, building pipelines, building water of recycling plants, you know, want to own the infrastructure, buying sand mines, uh, doing joint ventures for, for, you know, pipelines for, for uh, reclaimed water, you know, all that sort of stuff. So it's going to be interesting to see which business plan 
works the best. Be a specialist in what you're really good at in your core business and do nothing else or control all the logistics that it takes for you to make money. So they didn't call me and ask my opinion on this. Pioneer usually makes good decisions. And I think the last little bit they need to get rid of, I think they still have some assets in Eagleford. Let's see what what that goes for. But, you know, the Permian is hot. And we just talked about Midland earlier. Midland's right smack in the middle of the Permian uh, revolution that's going on. So it is will be interesting. And then Pro Petro all of a sudden gets all this pumping ability. And I guarantee you in that contract, they, they get some type of discount back to Pioneer. So maybe this is another thing that Pioneer is doing is trying to keep its pressure pumping costs low, but spin it off a part of their business that, that's not core to what they do. We'll keep an eye on this. this i tell you one thing. Everything that's going on in the Permian it, it is never boring. I think that's the truth. All right, guys. Well, that wraps up the stories for today. Once again, I don't know if we've already apologized this episode, but we've been extremely busy. And so we're trying to get back to a more regular schedule. So we'll drop this in the next few days and then we'll have another regular episode coming to you in about a week. So and before we... If you'd like to win a Red Wing bag, it's really simple. Go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. I know it's a horrible segue. <laughs> redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Give us the information. We give away one lucky winner a week. See official sites for rules and details. And Jake, we just talked about the rig count. What was it? 1,168. Not bad. Not bad at all. Good, solid number. And then events on deck. All right, listen, we are not putting this on social. This is invitation only. Big shout out to Tableau for partnering with us. We're, I'm actually, if you've listened to the show for any length of time, you know I do predictions every year. So my predictions for 2019 are already done. There, nobody's seen them yet. We are doing a live event here in Houston, Thursday, December 6th from 4 to 6 p.m. Great food, great drinks, and I am going to sit down and talk to you about my predictions for 2019. There's only a select group of people invited. Everybody that's listening, you're invited. Go to the show notes. There's a link. You have to register. You have to RSVP. We're not throwing this on social. We're not inviting the whole world. Just a handful of, of people and our listeners to the podcast. So go reserve your seat. This is going to fill out. I think there's only room for, I think, 250 people there. So first come, first serve. But go grab your seat now. And if you go, come introduce yourself to me. I'd love to see how many of our listeners actually want to come hear me yab about my predictions for 2019. Although, Jake... We're almost 75% accurate. Every year we do this, which gives my average a better uplift, better number. So <laughs> I'm hoping that I get most of these right. So next year for 2020, I could be like at 76% accuracy. 75% of the time, you're right every time. <laughs> and then, uh, Jake, you want to talk a little about the SPE Innovation and Entrepreneur Symposium? Yeah. So uh, SPE has a history of doing just really good events. I went to, it was a how to start an ENP backed by private equity event about two weeks ago. And I want to say that was probably one of the most impactful events that I've ever been to. And it seems like every time I go to one of their events, you know, I walk away with learning a whole lot. So they're doing their second annual SBE Innovation Entrepreneurship Symposium. Uh, it's quite a ways out. It's in February, but you know, oil and gas is going to shut down once we hit Thanksgiving. Everybody's going to be full until about New <laughs> Year's, and then we'll all kind of get fired back up and do work again. So once again, February 27th to 28th in Houston. Make sure you reg- register by November 30th. So we've got, what, a few weeks? Yeah. Yep. A few weeks to actually lock in your early bird pricing. I think you can still register after that, but I think it's going to be, I think they're from, I got an invite and I think it was like eight different startups are going to be pitching. I'm sure there's going to be a couple different keynotes and a couple different talking points and probably some panels as well. So be sure to check it out. We'll definitely be there. At least I know I will be. So come by, hang out with us, enjoy the event. Yeah. And then the OGG and super happy hour. It's always the last Tuesday of month. This case, Tuesday, November 27th. We finally got a calendar of events up. So if you go to oil and gas global network.com and click on events, you can see all this event and all the future events. You can go ahead and register there. We'll also have a link in the show notes. We're going to start live streaming these, but we're going to start doing it 
on a very regular basis. And we're going to have a little bit of a show. So we have a little bit of a pre-show and then we'll live stream the event itself. Don't know where that's going to end up. It'll probably end up on Twitter and Facebook, but we'll let you know that once we have that figured out. And so if you'd like to learn about these events, plus more, go sign up for my monthly oil and gas uh, events newsletter. It's free. We never spam you. Put a link in the show notes. And then if you'd like Jake and I to come speak, we got a couple of universities we're going to speak to for 2019. We got one conference. Uh, we actually just a month or so ago brought two of the podcasts to the Weatherford booth at uh, SPE. Speaking of SPE, their annual technical conference and expo. If you'd like us to bring the podcast to your booth, so your booth is the only one crowded with people, nobody else is, just reach out to Jake and I. We'll be happy to share the details. And then you know about the first Friday Q&A, which by the way, Jake, I got a lot of good feedback on those two that uh, stole our last first Friday Q&A. <laughs> so what was the feedback? What did everybody say? They said it was great that it was funny. I did hear that they might have talked about themselves a little bit too much, but you know what? If you have the, the courage to break into our studio and take over our first Friday Q&A, I guess you're allowed to talk about yourself. We have more of that sort of stuff coming up. And then, but anyway, go to the website, allandgasthisweek.com, click on ask a question. We use your questionnaire. We'll give you a big shout out. And then Jake, there's something you don't know. What is it? We actually finally, I'm going to say this on there. We actually finally bought OGGN.com. Oh, thank God. So the whole big long URL, allingasglobalnetwork.com is getting ready to be go down to just OGGN.com. It's Fantastic. easier for everybody to find, make our email addresses fit on our business cards. So look out for that change. The old uh, URL will still work. We'll just redirect that one, but we're, we're streamlining the process. We're growing. Speaking of that, we're also going to start posting more unique content on our LinkedIn group. So if you haven't joined there, go sign up real quick. Just go to LinkedIn and type in OGGN. We pop right up. Whew, a lot going on. I got to go buy some turkey. Jake, you ready to get out of here? Let's do it. All right, folks. Remember, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.